Good morning, ladies, and welcome to Parshas Chukas. Um, what we're going to fit so many great subjects in this week's Parsha, as always, but the three main things that we learn about in Parshas Chukas is the para aduma. That's the cow that makes no sense, if you want to call it that. That, you know, like it's the people that, that it's the Tahir people that were tame, but anybody involved in its production became tame themselves. So there's many things about paradigm we don't understand, but we're not going to focus on that today. There's also the idea of nachash hanachoshes. At the end of the parsha, there's this idea that the Jewish people um, were bitten by snakes for having committed a sin. And then they had, a, they, a, Hashem told Moshe to construct a snake made out of copper. They were to look at it and they would be healed. We we're going to go into that a little bit. But we we're going to mainly focus on something that's definitely been a problem for ages. And that's called the May Mariva, the waters of, that, that, in, you know, that involved the whole uh, machlokas, the whole argument. And I'm entitling today's class, The Rock That Became a Hard Place. Anyways, so uh, tell you two psukim about May Mariva. It says in our parsha, this is for Bina, Bamidbar Chaf Pasakid Base, we're told, Vayom Hashem El Moshe Vel Aaron. Hashem told Moshe and Aaron, Yan Lohem Mantem Bilahakti Sheni, because you didn't believe in me to uh, sanctify me, because, let's, oh, I forgot to mention this first. There's this whole situation that Moshe went up to a rock, he couldn't seem to, to, Hashem told him to go to speak to a rock, according to Rashi, he couldn't find either, it wasn't the right rock, whatever, it didn't produce the water he was expecting, so he starts hitting the rock, really the rock was right nearby, anyways, because of this, you're not going to go to Eretz Yisrael, that's not an easy thing to swallow, what was so bad that Moshe Rabbeinu does not deserve to go to Eretz Yisrael? That's our first question. And also, the whole thing of going to Eretz Yisrael, if you look in another, in another area, in Parsha Shemais, when Moshe Rabbeinu told Hashem, Why did you do such evil things to the Jewish people? And why did you send me, you know? The moment I talked to your people, um, you know, telling every, I, I went to power like you command me to, and he made the work harder for the people, made the work harder for the people. And uh, I, I didn't seem to achieve anything. You didn't save the Jewish people. And then Hashem says to him, You're going to see what I'm going to do to Paro has brought down in the Gemara Sanhedrin Kufyad Aleph and Rashi there, Hirharta Almido Sai. Now this is Moshe pleading, pleading for the Jewish people. He's not about himself. You know, when it came to, uh, to Avram Avinu giving up his only child, he didn't say a word. This is not about himself. Moshe Avinu couldn't stand the Jewish people suffering. And he said, why did you send me? Here I went to Pharaoh. I didn't what he told me to do, and things seem to be getting worse, not better. The Medrash tells us, because you, you complain to me, you're going to see what I'm going to do to Paro, Moshe Rabbeinu. 
you're not going to go to Eretz Yisrael. So this is really the second straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, that Moshe Rabbeinu was not allowed to go to Eretz Yisrael two times. It, it, you know, you're going to see, you're not going to see the 31 kings. You're not going to see the seven kings. You're only going to see Paro, nobody else. So why here, it seemed to clinch it, but it also what was, what was added on to here that wasn't added on to there? Or what do the two have in common, in fact, that were strong enough not allow Moshe Rabbeinu to go to Eretz Yisrael? The second question is, it says, Lo hemantem bi la'aktisheni. You didn't believe in me enough. Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't believe in Hashem. Because b'chol basi ne'eman hu. Ne'eman usually has two meanings. It means being reliable and faithful, and it also means to have a muna. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have a muna, then that's really sad about us. Where are we going to If he didn't have enough a muna, what's going to be with us? Third question. This sin of not going to Eretz Yisrael by those two events caused Moshe Rabbeinu and Parshish Veschanan just like the gematria of Veschanan, Moshe Rabbeinu Davin 515, that adds up in gematria to Veschanan, 515 tefillos, please Hashem, please, I'm doing shuva, I'm doing shuva, I'm doing shuva. Hashem didn't listen to him. 500, okay, some people say if he had Davin the 516th time, it would have been answered. That's another shop. we're not going with that today. But why did Hashem not answer Moshe's tefillos to go to Eretz Yisrael? Why not? Doesn't Hashem accept people's tefillahs, and especially the tefillah of Moshe Rabbeinu? It says, you know, Aksadi Geyser, Hashem Mekayim, and also Tshuva, nothing stands before Tshuva. Tshuva can, sh- can change something. There must be, be your, everything with the doors are all locked, and all of a sudden the doors open up. Didn't he rectify the sin by 515 tefillahs? Like, why? What, what did he do wrong? And, um, okay, third question. It says, Asher ma'altembi, you stole from me. Another, this is in Parshas, uh, later on in the Chumash, in Devarim Lamed Beis Nun Aleph. Asher ma'altembi besoch b'nei Yisrael b'mei merivas kayesh midbar sin. When Moshe later in Sefer Devarim recounts all the things the Jewish people had done wrong, one of the things they did wrong was, you stole from me, that me'ilakorin the unclus, is to steal. Lushen Sheker, he says. We'll get into that also. But it's also stealing. Me'ila means you taste something that's supposed to be holy and you used it for something mundane. You stole from me. It was May Mariva, the, the waters of fighting uh, in Midbar Sin. And because of that, you're not going to Eretz Yisrael. What, what was they stealing in this whole episode? And the last question, Rav Pincus brings down this question. How can people, you know, they always talk about Torah Shabbat, there's the written Torah and then there's the oral law, right? The written Torah and the oral law. Talk about these two Torahs. We find that a lot of people say, how in general can we believe in Moshe Rabbeinu as being the, everything he said, you know, we have to believe in a human being to transmit the Torah and we have to believe in Chachamim and we have the whole transmission through the oral law how can we believe all that in general? It's a general question, and a lot of people would like to have some chizik in that, so let's go into that as well. Okay, those are our questions. Let's get into some amazing answers and, of course, life-changing realities, hopefully, for all of us. All right, now, Rav Dessler tells us, this parsha is so confusing 
this Parsha of May Mariva, the waters over fight, you know, the fight over the waters. What happened was, I, I also didn't explain, I should have prefaced my words with, the Jewish people longed for water. They, they were dying for water. They complained to Moshe Rabbeinu for water. Uh, he said to them, Shimu Nahamorim, listen to me, you complainers. That's what he said. According to Rambam, that was Moshe's fault, you know, that he shouldn't have called them uh, rebels or complainers, rebels actually, shouldn't have called them rebels. Because he called them rebels, there was a little slight inclination toward anger, says the Rambam. That was his flaw. According to Rashi, he shouldn't have spoken to the rock. He should, if, if, he should have spoken to the rock. He shouldn't have come and hit the rock as an extra command. Shem never told him to do. That's what he did wrong. According to Sephorno, Ramban, I'm sorry, it was his wording. Yeah, he says, how can you say that, you know, the fact that he hit the rock, that he didn't speak to the rock. Um, he said his wording, he said, can we bring you water? That was what he did wrong. Hitting wasn't the wrong thing, says Ramban. It was the, can we bring forth water? And according to the Orachayim HaKadosh, there are 10 different shittas he takes as far as what Moshe Rabbeinu did wrong. Says Rav Dessler, Zetzal. The fact that there are so many approaches here and what Moshe Rabbeinu did wrong is a proof to us that nobody really knows exactly. It was so delicate. It was so minute, so minuscule that what Moshe Rabbeinu did wrong, people are sweating over. It's, you know, it was, it was, you know, nothing that we could ever imagine in our daily lives. And, you know, it's so beyond us that, um, you know, we can't just take it. We're going to say certain lessons in a minute way that we can learn from this episode, you know. But, uh, oh, the Sephorno, we're going to get into a little bit later. I'm not mentioning now because it, it brings, it connects with something we're going to be saying later. But the idea is that the sin, the sin was so minute that it, we can't even as mortals understand. Moshe Bain was so hip of us. We can't understand, but we can learn certain lessons from all of these things. And let's delve into it. Let's speak in general about the idea of Nevi'im, of prophets, and of Moshe Rabbeinu specifically. The Gemara Sanhedrin, this is all now, this part, this portion that I'm about to bring to you. I just, sorry, keep, this thing keeps falling. Very good. The Gemara I'm about to bring to you, um, all this next little part that we're bringing is in the shame of Rav Shimshim Pincus itself, the Heliger of Shimshim, who could have been the Gadol Hador, had he lived a little longer, he was taken in the middle of his life in a car accident, Nebuchadnezzar Pesach. Any case, what happens like this, the Shimshim Pincus brings down the Gemara and said, Hedrin paid tests on the base, which says, Two Nevi'im never give their revelations with the same type of speech. We did have a small endeavor about 10 years ago where I decided to teach. I didn't decide. I was asked strongly by a class to teach Sefer Yechezkel. And that was <laughs> not for the, you know, the weak, for the stronger, for the weak of heart, rather. <laughs> I found out that uh, very, very, very complicated Sefer Yechezkel. It's not, I don't think, for a woman's topic. I even later was told by somebody that, you know, maybe it shouldn't have been taught by women. I see why. I did use uh, other sources. I didn't use my own ideas. The Cheskel spoke in a very strong way, very strong and harsh in a way. Talked a lot about Malachim and all kinds of celestial beings. But no two Nevi'im ever see alike. You know why? Because no two people are alike. And God's word in the case of Nevi'im is filtered through that human that has been chosen as the Navi. 
and you can't get away from it. Uh, we're all human. Just just like two people don't look alike, even identical twins have a little something or other. Their, their thoughts, their, their mashavas. People have, everyone's got a different take. That's why it's so good to, for men, let's say, to learn the Harusas. Because you see a whole different perspective. We ourselves are not the okay. they are not the kings of perspective here. We can see things. Uh, I just want to give you something. Someone is not muted, just to tell you. Um, now, the uh, the dangers of Zoom. Anyways, so the um, everybody has something unique to themselves, and it's a positive. It's not just a negative. Every something uniquely his. And when another expresses it, it comes out with his unique interpretation of Hashem's words. And they were to be taken as facts. Now, by Moshe Rabbeinu, however, there were no changes whatsoever. Like what he said had nothing to do with his personality. He said, Or we call it Aspaklaria Hameira, that his, his vision of Hashem was totally pure, a clear, you know, like clear. Whereas the other prophets had more of a hazy view. I've heard this said, and I don't remember who I heard this from, but it's like Tarzanus. And that is, Moshe Rabbeinu had no what they call in Yiddish, zich. Moshe Rabbeinu had none of himself, no agenda, no nothing. He was so humble, so selfless, so self-effacing that anything that came through him, there was like no barriers. We all have some some aspect of humanity in all of us, and that aspect of humanity is what makes us, um, you know, have that interpretation. But Moshe Rabbeinu was pure Hashem speaking out of his throat because there was no human aspect to him, so to speak. He had reached that level. Now, whatever he did wrong, whether it was that he, he had a slight amount of anger or whether we did too much, too much efforts, according to Soporno and according to Rashi, we'll discuss that a little bit later, Moshe Rabbeinu has to retain his perfection. Because if not, how can we say that the Torah is perfect if it was transmitted through a person who's imperfect? So for this little flaw, now the flick of the flaw on behalf of the Jewish people, let's say in Sefer Shmos, he can't handle it anymore, and he tells Hashem, Lama Ariosa Lama Zeh. Why did you, he just asks a question. He doesn't start screaming at Hashem even. He's asking questions. He's feeling their pain so uniquely that he expresses a complaint. Bam, you're not going to be the Moshe Rabbeinu Hanaisen Torah La'ama Yisrael anymore. You can't, you can't continue anymore to be the leader once they enter Eretz Yisrael. Koiner Shem Pinkus. Because he has to be absolutely, positively perfect. Now, we all know now why we're not in the VM because, uh, you know, we may be lost it more than once in our life, albeit slightly, albeit to give Musr, like he did Shibunah HaMorim. He just wanted them to learn. You're asking Hashem to give water. And why are you why are you complaining so much after you've seen so many miracles? There's another deeper reason, says Hashem Shem Pinkus. If the Jewish people are going to see Moshe Rabbeinu being angry, that means that I am being, you know, that, that Kivyachal, they look, Moshe already was perceived as Hashem, especially after, this was after Korach, when they saw there was only one leader and that was Moshe. If they see Moshe gets angry, 
They sing, Hashem gets angry. And Hashem doesn't have enough patience for us. Even if we ask not in a nice way. People were thirsting for water. And they didn't ask it a nice way. And it's true, it wasn't appropriate. But look what Hashem did for us, even when we don't deserve it. Moshe wasn't reflecting that back. That was already something that was wrong here. That means Hashem's angry at them. And Hashem is on a higher level than that. And he requires, you know, and he doesn't require, he, he does it for us whether we deserve it or not. Of course, Hashem is very careful with his tzaddikim, more than he is with us plain folk. Uh, but by the tzaddikim, Hashem, you know, every little thing he did, this was a, a perfection that was needed as a leader. doesn't mean he did a terrible sin and is going to suffer for it. He just can't resume his, his unique role in the Jewish people. Now, then a person could think the whole Torah is questionable if we're going to see people acting like humans. I told you once years ago, I spoke to a bunch of conservative reform ladies slash ladies from a certain group, and um, I, was, I mentioned David Amelech in passing, and they said to me, he was a lustful young man. And I was tell, trying to explain to them, you know, whoever reads that whole parsha of David Amelech and Bathsheba in its simplest explanation is making a mistake. How can we base all our prayers, all our Tehillim, on a man that had a moment of lust? I mean, it's, 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 it's so beneath what David Amelech was that Nebuch, you know, everybody who reads the Torah at face value cannot get such a picture of, of, of David Amelech. Now, he says, we have, an, we have a Masorah about all the Nevi'im, and our Masorah is the following. The Masorah is that every Navi, so, so to speak, uh, gave his Haskama to further Nevi'im. We find... Um, Shmuel Hanavi give, it, it gave witness that he gave testimony that Hosea is good. Hosea gave on Yeshaya. Yeshaya gave on Yirmiyahu. And furthermore, each one said, this is the next Navi, or this is the present Navi. That they, they you know, we, we know it because they themselves testified. And it goes all the way back to Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, says Rashim Shinpink, is how do we know that in one particular case, you know, we, we read the Nevi'im, how do we know Nevi'im aren't lying? That it could be true. A Navi could lie. You know, how do we know? But the, first of all, we, we know because of their, their being um, coronated, so to speak, by previous Naviim. We also know there are certain simanim. There are certain signs. The Rambam, I'm sorry, I'm driving you crazy, but it's driving me crazy. Um, there's certain signs that the Rambam brings down. I'm still getting just my, my head up to my chin. Okay. Um, certain things that the Rambam brings down. Still not working. I need a personal technician here. Okay. Um, second. Okay. There's certain things that the Rambam brings down that um, that are simanim. They're signs for us to know when we see a Navi in our generation. So because of those signs... Um, you know, we, um, we we base ourselves on that. So, so far, the signs, the fact that he's been coronated, so to speak, by another Navi. But even more than that, Rafsadia Gump brings down, says Rashimshan, that since everything is revealed to Hashem, past, present, and future, we don't believe in a Navi because of his persona, per se, even though that is very, very relevant. He can't be a liar. He, uh, you know, he has to be not, we can't catch him ever in a lie. And there's got to be all these other qualifications according to the Rambam and according to other people that know, that, that attest to him. 
but we believe because of a Pusik in Chumash, the Pusik in Chumash Devarim. Oh, I don't know if I can read my writing. I think it's Memchas Tes, Yudchas Tesvav says, Elav Tishma'un. There is a there's a there's a halacha in the Torah that you must listen. You it's both a tzivui, it's a it's a commandment, and also a promise. You have to listen to a navi. And says Rishad, you go and why? Not just because it's a tzivui. I'm promising you that you can rely on the navi in your generation. When there will be navua, you can and you should rely on the navi in your generation. Not just a commandment, a promise. A love tishma'un is the reason why we believe in Nivian. Now, this idea even exists by Moshe Rabbeinu. First of all, it says, Bechol Beisi Nemanhu. In all my house, he is the reliable one. Everything he, everything he says, you can rely on. So could Moshe lie? Perhaps. But it's a promise and a, and, and, and a tzivui that it says in the Torah, V'gam Becha Yaminu Le'olam. I don't have the Pasuk for this. I, it's in Rishim Shemfinkas on the parsha. if you want to look it up. But v'cha yaminu la'olam, you, it's a promise and a tzivui, promise and a commandment. You, Moshe Rabbeinu, you can be trusted and forever. And you should trust in Moshe Rabbeinu. We're commanded to, and it's, it's because of Hashem we believe in Avim, and because of Hashem's Torah, we believe in Moshe. And when Moshe Rabbeinu means one little mistake of this thing with the rock, and with him pleading for the Jewish people, which we can't even believe, you know, like, can we, can any of us in on this uh, platform right now say they've ever had a moment where they said something with a little bit too much anger, with a little lack of betachan, come on, and that's it, you're no good anymore, that's it, you're, you're a loser, you know, that is really incredible, so that shows the mammoth level of Moshe Rabbeinu, and why, gambacha yaminu olam. Okay, now, as soon as a person like Moshe Rabbeinu acts like a mortal, he can no longer be the leader. No longer can be the leader. Today, there is a commandment. I'm going to just get this paper here. This is in Scripture Shemshim that he brings down. There is Devarim Yud Zion Ches. We're told, if something will be too difficult for you to rule on, you should go to the place where Hashem chose. And you have something you can't make a decision on. Go to the leaders of your generation. And they'll tell you what the what the halacha is. And you should keep everything they tell you. So listening to a rav today is fulfilling this commandment of the kamtav alisa asher the darash to begidul mishpat. There is a pasuk in chumash telling you that you have to listen to the rabbanim in those days. Now, of course, he says Rishup Shapikas, if you think he's a liar. Uh, it's, first of all, it's got to be someone that you know that is not a liar. And somehow, also, other rabbanim of the time are uh, testify, this person is a reliable rav. You can rely on him. Then we should be able to go to those rabbanim in those days and rely on them. So I just thought this was partially was a little bit of an opportunity to get us, you know, encourage us why we have to go to rabbanim. 
why we have to trust our Nevi'im, and why we have to trust Moshe Rabbeinu. Not because they're mere mortals, but because they weren't mere mortals. And our Rabbanim today, of course, are not on the level of Moshe Rabbeinu, but our Gedolim are, are compared to us. We are mere mortals compared to them. And the whole, that's the whole transmission, because it's a commandment, but it's also a promise from Hashem that they will give us reliable testimony, despite the few frailties they may possess. Now, why are there different angles in the Torah? Why are there machlokas? First of all, says Hashem Shempinkas, Hill and Shammai themselves only had three times they disagreed. Already their students were lacking clarity. Someone should bring text. This share is being posted. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Um, I don't know. What, I don't know what that comment was. You'll have to we'll have to discuss it afterwards. Anyways, the um, someone just sent me a message. The uh, the idea is like this: that when when we have that um, the idea that there's different opinions, we said only the students of Hill and Shammai. We started to have hundreds of different opinions. And the Tanaim were worried that people won't believe anymore that there is a respectable tradition, transmission of the Torah. And the Gemara Sanhedrin said that a baskol, a heavenly voice, came to them from heaven saying, Elu ve'elu divre'elu kim chayim. Both of them are seeing the truth, albeit at different angles. But halacha kebeis hillel. The halacha is like hillel always, at least until Mashiach. There's an argument whether we'll eventually go to Beis Shammai. How do we understand our arguments? So one way is just like when you look at a diamond, you look at different angles, and you're seeing a whole different picture when you see that angle. A spectrum, you see now more blue if you look at it at this angle. You see more pink if you look at it through this angle. You know, it, but at the same time, it's the same diamond. It's just different ways, and they're both truthful. And when Elio and Navi will come, we'll understand how everything really stems. Sometimes we've been lucky enough to see how a bunch of things stem how they all fit together, and in fact, in this expression, some of these different opinions, they really all do don't contradict each other. We're just seeing different angles of, of perhaps the little flaw of Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, why does Hashem have to give through people, and why didn't he just transmit like he gave in Matan Torah? We're here to Hashem's voice. Why do we have to have the transmission? In fact, that's why so many people have, you know, gone off from the Torah Shabbat Al-Pas. So many people have said, we don't need an oral law. We don't need an oral law. Says Hashem Shempinkas, to show the love Hashem has for the Jewish people. Like we say in Avarabba, Habocher ba'amo Yisrael ba'ahava. He chose the Jewish people with love. Hashem let us be the conduit. There are certain people that are really, we can see how great a human being can become. We have a chelak alokami mal. We have an neshama. We could perfect ourselves to such a degree that really the person can reflect Hashem. Hashem is allowing us to reflect the Torah through us. But, okay, it wasn't us. It was through the Tanaim and the Amorim. They're a little bit bigger than us today. I think everyone will agree with me on that. And it says, Zichru Tyrus Moshe Abdi. Remember the Torah through Moshe. Hashem wanted to show that a human being is, so to speak, being a, a, a companion with Hashem and transmitting the Torah to the Jewish people, the, 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 the heights a human being can reach how great a human being can become that, that we can, through a human being, Hashem can transmit the whole Torah. Okay, Ad Khan. Until now, we're talking about that leaders have to be more perfect. But even if they did have, the Nevi'im may have had a flaw here, a flaw there, a little flaw, but Hashem do past, present, and future, said Rav Sadia, and he can, we can trust our leaders to be loyal, 
transmitters because Hashem knew from the beginning that they would be, and we're doing it because we trust Hashem, not because we trust the particular leader. Okay, now, the next idea we're going to present after Shem Shem Pincus is we're got, not, now bringing you some of the thoughts of the Sifte Chaim, Rav Chaim Friedlander, and he's going to go, so we've, we've, we've clarified what was the thing with the, the Mesorah and the Nevi'im. A little bit about Moshe Rabbeinu's symbol, we'll go into more now. What was the lack of Amuna, says the Sifte Chaim in Moshe Rabbeinu? First of all, he says, let's clarify what Amuna means. There's two ideas of Amuna. You know, Amuna is similar to the Shoresh, the root of Amuna is Amen. Amen could mean it is true, because Amuna is believing in the truth. You know, our Amuna, unlike other faiths, is really based on history, that two and a half million people stood at the base of Mount Sinai and heard God's voice, and then they heard how he was passing it on to Moshe Rabbeinu. So, and, and two and a half million people witnessed Kriyas Yamsuf and witnessed Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. So our Amuna is not based on somebody in a room that had some kind of private prophecy. We're basing ourselves on a huge event that took place that many people witnessed. However... Emuna is going further from that. It is taking the truth and running with it, taking it into our lives, taking it when times get tough, you know, when, when, when facts leave us, and that's when Emuna starts, says the Sif Sechaim. To believe, to be able to believe, even when things are tough, even when halachas don't make sense, and that's why, by the way, this may tie in with Paraduma in the, in the beginning, there was this Parsha. But there's another aspect of Amuna, and that is, talk about Amuna, Amen stands for three words, Kael, Melech, Ne'eman, the strong, powerful, all-enabled, all-powerful, uh, all all-omniscient, all omnipotent, uh, that's a king that can do anything, that is the strength, he can do, and he's strong in all areas, but he's also Ne'eman. Amuna is similar to the word Neman. Neman means reliable. Reliable. He keeps his word, keeps his promises. You've also mentioned that Amain is similar to Uman, which means um, an artesian artist. Like um, to be, it doesn't mean the city in the Ukraine, by the way. <laughs> Even though they may, some people may infer that from that. Who knows? You never know. But um, uh, an Uman means to have Amuna, we have to work at it. It's a like, you know, I want, we have to thank Lila Prasod for, Leah Prasod for uh, donating this, for, for, for donating this shear this week. And um, Devorah Shmulevitz also sponsored a shear. And I know she was sponsoring it for the Devorah of her mother-in-law. But I, I think I mentioned it last time. I don't remember if I did. I don't have the name in front of me. So if Devorah, you want to tell me the name, I'd be happy to mention it. But I also wanted to dedicate some parts of the shear. I had a dear friend that was Nifter. Two weeks ago, Alaya Bas, Clay Rachel Bas, David Yitzchak, very close friend of mine in Muncie. And she always used to say that a person is a work in progress. And that's really what we are, that to keep the faith even when the going gets rough. And she really personified that. She had several children that were passed away in her lifetime. And, um, uh, and most of them were ill with different illnesses. And... Um, she was not a person that had money at all, and always a smile on her face, and always being faithful to Hashem and faithful to Amuna. Always a big mom in that she 
she kept going and she just kept always saying that this world is not the real world and we have to we just have to hang in there for the real world and we can't put too much uh, put too much of our hopes to this world which is always going to frustrate ourselves anyways so Emuna really has two meanings as a Sifse Chaim. One is I believe. And the second thing is that Hashem is reliable and faithful, um, which is, of course, hard to believe in that, uh, and that he keeps his promises. Now, says of the Sifse Chaim, if somebody is not a reliable, loyal type of person, that's something you have, if you want Emuna, besides Reb Dessler says you should develop your chesed because Really, it's more if you can see the other person, then you can see Hashem. You can see outside of yourself. But his Talmud, the Sifzei Chaim, Rav Dessler's Talmud, who was also, by the way, the Meshkich and Panovish, the Chaim Friedlander, he said, if someone is not the loyal type, let's say you are not faithful to others, then you don't trust people. You, you don't trust yourself, so you can't trust others. It's going to be harder for you to have a Muna. You know, that's, it's like call a post-sell, but mumo post-sell. Whoever invalidates others, it's a sign that he's got the same problem. If you can't trust Hashem, just think, we have to all think, you know, they're doing a project, and it's just my friend, Leah Rachel, and the project is, it's called um, Give a Smile for Lies. They're saying that people should try to think three things every day, write down three things we could be grateful to Hashem, and maybe every Rosh Chodesh, read it an idea thought of by her friends in Muncie. That's really something that's very hands-on, practical, and can produce results. It's hard for us sometimes to have faith. We, you know, we've had, everyone has dark moments, but perhaps, oh, this, it's an old age, so it's an age of Hatzka Levenstein used to talk about this, Hashkacha Pratis in our lives, or just good things that happened every single day. You know, it, it, I feel like in my life when I had hard times, I felt I, when I got into the habit of, of saying 10 things before I went to bed at night about what good things happened to me that day, I felt it really kept me through. If I kept at it consistently, that's the thing, it's consistency. And all of us, we write it down in a book of things that we can um, remember that were good about our day, things that happened to us that were good. Then we start seeing, wow, Hashem is consistently doing good for me. Because what people tend to focus on, hyper-focus on, is the things that go bad to them. And the more we focus on the good, the more the back, the more it'll fade into the background. And I felt whenever I wasn't consistent with it, it, it definitely came to bite me. And here to read it is a very brilliant idea of reading it afterwards once a month of all the things we can look at that month that we're going to read it to others. It's a good thing with children. I, I, um, I had this idea, I, I, don't know, I got this idea from somebody years ago. Every day, I used to sit with my kids before they would go to sleep and tell them what good things happened in your day today. Get them in that mode as children. You know, they are, you know, some people did, went through a happiness book. I think it's even more, it's more positive. How about we should develop that when we're younger? Now that we're talking to people, everybody here is over 25 that I'm speaking to, I think at least. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a little late in the game, but um, we can never say it's too late. Never too late, right? So it's good to even write it down, to have it written down of the things that we experienced in our life and show how Shem was loyal to us. Kel Melech Naman. And that increases our emuna. You know, there's a famous story brought down by Sefer HaAruch. These are all brought to you by the Sefer Chaim. 
according to the Maral, it's from the Sefer Araf. Some people say it's previous. It's, it's an old story, long, long ago. There was a girl that said she got dressed up very nicely to go visit her father. Now, I don't know why she wasn't living with her father because she was a single woman. But, okay, I don't know. Maybe even those days they had to go away for Shadokim. I don't know. So she was not living. She got dressed up, but she was traveling to see her father. She climbed, She saw some kind of well, and there was no bucket there. And she had this idea that she climbed into the well because she was very thirsty to quench her thirst. And she climbed into our pit. It was either a well or a pit, a bore it was called. And she somehow couldn't get, get extricate herself from there. She couldn't get out of there. And she was calling out, is there anyone here that could get me out of here? And soon a young man came by, and she says, I'm stuck in this pit. I can't get out. So he, um, you know, and, and he told her, you know, uh, the um, when he was taking her out, and here's where I, just one minute, I want to make sure I get this correct. He, I don't know if it was previous or afterwards. I think when she was in the pit, um, one second, just give me a minute here. Okay, hear her voice. And he couldn't see her. He said, are you a human being or you're, or you're a, a shindalit? She said, I'm a person. He said, promise me you're a person. So she promised him. She said, he said, how did you end up here? And she said, this is what happened. He said, um, he said I'll, it, 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 when she told him how she ended up, he said, I will, I'll, if, if I take you out, I want to marry you. So he, um, you know, so they had this whole discussion. Why did he want to marry her? Obviously, if a boy has to lift a girl like this, he's afraid of his Yitzhahara. So even though he was saving her life, which is totally permissible, he didn't have to marry her per se. He was totally afraid of himself. He said, listen, he said, who are you? Now, this is sight unseen. Tell, all, tell this to all the boys today. <laughs> anyway, so the, um, he, he tells her, um, he, he tells her, you know, I, I, he, she asks him if he's a Jew, and she asks her if he's a Jew. He says, I'm a, not only Jew, I'm a Kohen. So she says, you know, she, he says, a promise, he, he, she says to me, promise, he says, I promise you, you know, promise me you'll marry me. And she says, okay, who's going to be the witness that we, you made this promise to me? And he said, you know what? I see a weasel, a hulda, running by right now, and I also see a boar. I see this well. Is, is they're going to be witnesses. In other words, there's Hashem, you know, but it's as if it's good enough, Hashem, but these are the two witnesses that I made this promise to you. I'm going to marry you. Okay? So he takes her out of the pit, and they were both young at the time, apparently, like too young to get married. Maybe they were eight, nine instead of oh. 14 when they got married at 15, 14, whatever. Who knows? doesn't say that. It's not relevant. We don't know their ages. What happened was he forgot his promise to her, because it was many years later, he got married. He had two sons. One fell into a well and died, and his other son was bitten by a weasel and died. So his wife said, his wife said, we have such strange deaths going on in the family. Like, maybe you should think about, have you ever done something you think that, that, you know, look, reflect on your life. Like, why, you know, let's think what we've done. He said, oh my goodness. Years ago, I promised myself to this girl in the name of a Hulda and a boar, and I didn't keep my promise. She said, if that's the case, I'm divorcing you. 
Go find her. Meanwhile, she had decided she was never going to be for another man because she had made a promise. They both had promised each other. She decided she wanted to be faithful. She, she never, and she in fact didn't, didn't take care of her looks because she only wanted to be for him. And people, so people despise her. And she ended up being very down and depressed because as years went by, nothing ever. And then he went to that city, inquired about her. He found her. First, she wasn't, she didn't believe it. She couldn't believe it. But they ended up getting married and they had many children. That's the story. So it says if a person believes in a chulda and bore, that they, you know, even more so should you believe in the Rabbinah Shalom. That's what the, the Sifta, the Sifta Chaim tells us. Um, now, the idea here with this Hulda and Bor is that that um, here both these people were faithful, and faith leads, is from being faithful. If you are reliable and faithful, then you have more faith. She kept the faith because she never gave up her reliability. Her reliability, she could be trustworthy. And, and in turn, you have to, you can only trust somebody that you think is reliable. So it has to be like mirrored from something, that, a trait that you have, that you possess. And that's why, now, the, um, the degree that you're a neman is the degree you're a mammon. That's what we say about Hashem. The neman atala hachayos mesim. You are reliable to even resurrect the dead. And we say, according to Hashem and Schwab, Baruch Hashem, we say present tense. I believe with perfect faith because you're a Naman. I believe that you can be that you are Machaya Mason right now. First of all, you do it many ways with sick people. Admonish their stories, Machaya Mason. Like I just, you know, I have somebody I know that really was at death's door, and Baruch Hashem, she she recovered from a really traumatic incident just recently. And and there's other, many stories. We all have incidents where you know we've seen something that seems really impossible, and we we got out of it. That's why amen is so important. It says It's bigger to say amen than the person that says the bracha. You know why? Says because if a person says hamotzi lechem in he's just thanking Hashem for his bread. By amen, you're saying Hashem, you're melech neman. You could do anything. You're reliable. You're 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 making you're making broad broader strokes. You're saying Hashem is all encompassing. You're enhancing your amuna every time you say Amen. Bigger than you are by making a bracha. That's why it says whoever's ona Amen b'chol kocho poskin lo shari ganeden. Whoever says Amen with all his power. And I was told it means your kavana. It doesn't mean you have to scream it at the top of your lungs. Um, or you know, you, they open the gates of Ganadin for you. It says Mavatal Xeros. Why is it why is Mavatal Xeros? Because he says, You are saying, Hashem, you are capable of doing anything. You're totally capable of doing anything. That's what you're doing. By saying it with all the kavana, you're giving Hashem, so to speak, a chance to do something in a natural aspect and not in a miraculous. You're not saying, Hashem, do miracles for me. Because we don't want a miracle. Hashem, and Hashem doesn't want to operate in a miraculous way. But if you want things to happen to you that you need, any Yeshua that you need, if you say amen, what you're saying is, Hashem, you can do anything. You're reinforcing ain't od mavado. That Hashem is reliable and he's been reliable. Look how he's been in my past, all the things he's done for me. And then as a Jewish people, how reliable Hashem has been. We see anti-Semitism. It just reminds us, wow, this is Jewish history. And Jewish history repeating itself. 
when we see the, the, the situation out there today where the non-Jews are so, <laughs> the society is, is so corrupt and horrific, it again reminds us that only the Torah's MS, we can't rely on our society. The society doesn't have anything to teach us. Only the Torah has something to teach us. Now, when Moshe Rabbeinu said, when Hashem said about Moshe Rabbeinu, rather, in Aram, Yan lo bi you didn't believe in me. The fact that Moshe Rabbeinu says this is Sechaim, he's basing himself on the Rambam here, who said Moshe had a slight anger. That he told the Jews, how are you asking, complaining? That's how you ask Hashem for water? Like, that's all he was really saying. Morim. That's what he was really saying. According to that, he was giving the worldview to the Kali Yisrael forever that they're going to say, Hashem only gives you if you deserve. That's not our Ramuna. Hashem is Naman even when we don't deserve it. Even when we don't deserve things, Hashem has been there for us. He's kept us going. He keeps all these Rashaim alive. He gives us so many chances, a myriad opportunities to improve ourselves. You know? So that's what the Rambam meant by his thing that, 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 like slightly, he, why are you giving the view to the Jewish people forever that Hashem, you know, can't do for you? And if you're going to, too much effort. If you just spoke to the rock, what would have happened was the Jews would have perceived this whole thing as, wow, he listens to Hashem's command and it happens. By taking that extra effort that Hashem never told him to do, he's, it's now we're seeing it through Moshe. It's less of a nace. We're not seeing that Hashem could do a nace, you know, because because you people didn't listen to Hashem, I had to go an extra, I made I had to make an extra effort, and that extra effort is, again, minimizing Hashem's presence. That was their lack of amuna, which is, <laughs> we can't even fathom such a thing. One time occurrence, you said an extra word. It teaches us we have to keep watching how we talk to people, what we say, you know, it's, it's when everybody just does the, their own thing in this world, you just do what comes naturally. This is this is so far a cry from Moshe Rabbeinu. We're supposed to, a Jew is really supposed to work on the way they speak, how they speak, what they say. You know, watch every word they say, not just Lush and Hara, but how they communicate with people. That can just, that fact itself, so according to the Rabbeinu Hananel and the Ramban, is the way we speak can minimize Hashem's presence in the world. We have to be so careful to try to bring that out. Ramban says that the Nachash the, uh, that, that, that copper, the Jews had sinned, uh, so they were bitten by snakes, and the only way they had an antidote was looking at snakes. Says the Ramban, the way of the world, and it, I think it applies today too, and, interesting, and, and you know this whole thing with snakes, this has become the symbol for med- medicine, at least in North America, Medical associations, they always have a picture of a snake, you know, and we have the Nachash and Achoshes, that's, a, that's the symbol of the, um, of the antidote to being poisoned by, by, by snake bite. The, why did they have to look at a snake? Says the Ramban that the way really, it, usually, if you want to get cured from something, looking at the thing that bothered you is not your cure. You know, like let's say somebody had a, a horrific event. Usually you try not, at, at first, if it's horrific, you know, you little by little bring back the events, you know, to heal somebody. Like let's say if it's a trauma, you know, you want to heal somebody that's been traumatized. 
um, you don't put them, you know, they, a lot of people develop, let's say, claustrophobia if they had a, uh, a earlier episode in an elevator or something like that. You know, people develop things because of the thing. Usually you avoid those things. That's what heals you. And then you can bring it back slowly and then train yourself. But you can't just bring it back. That's, it's to teach you that it's, the cure is the thing. The thing itself is not what we have to be afraid of. You don't have to have the thing itself to, to cure you. You don't need to stick on the rock to bring you water. You don't even need a Moshe Rabbeinu to bring you water. You don't need Hashem. So by looking at the snake, and that was our healing, is what we're, we're, what the Jews were supposed to think when they looked at that copper snake was Hashem gave us the, the, the poison. Hashem can give us the remedy and no one else. And that's why I have to look at that, the amuna that Hashem is reliable. And even when we get something negative, it's a, there's a reliability there. He's faithful to us. He's there for our benefit to help us. And we have to believe that. And once we believe that, then we're able to pass that on. And that was that slight lacking that Kleistro won't get the message properly because they weren't deserving. That was a little too far on Mashra Bainu's part, teaching the Jews that mahalach, that, that, that path of approaching Hashem. I hope I'm not speaking too fast. Maybe somebody could just give me a hand, a heads up if I am. I hope I, I hope I explained that clearly and you got it. Okay. Now, Last but not least, let's bring down Aryeh Box, the Chronicle of Rachel Rashiva in Detroit, in a safer call. Aryeh, he explains in a deeper way what Moshe Rabbeinu was complaining about in Safer Shmos and his lack of Amuna, according to Rashi. A different way. We took one approach. Yeah, okay, Rivka says I'm not going too fast. Okay, good. So um, when you say, according to Rashi, that, um, that you know, Moshe Rabbeinu was not. Uh, did, did not say Amunas. We gave one interpretation already of Shem, that um, that of the Sifse Chaim. Lack of Amuna was the fact that by by showing that they weren't worthy and they were called a name, that's showing that they, you know, when you don't have enough faith, Hashem won't be there for you. No, we can't believe that. Hashem is there for us even when we don't deserve. That's the approach of the Sifse Chaim, and that's how he explains the Kas of the Rambam, that they're a little bit too impatient, and Hashem is totally patient. Um, imagine the only time he ever lost it. It's pretty good. You know, I, I mean, there's another one other incident in the Torah. But these were all times of people sinning or doing something really wrong. And he didn't, like, lose it the way, you know, we would lose it. Let's put it that way. Um, the the uh, And also the fact that the showing Hashem is not a Neman can manifest itself even according to the Rebbeinu Hananel. Uh, if you don't word it right, that was he's taken to task for. Or if you go according to, to Forno who says that the fact that he had to hit the rock versus speak to the rock, too much he shtabla. So according to Rashi, that he didn't, that he just went a step further. We're going to be explaining that one, Rashi, a little bit more now with Revirely Boxed. So he says, what does it mean that Moshe Rabbeinu, that didn't, he didn't believe in Hashem enough? He says from Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, that a person should never, his approach to work should never be, I have to get it done. Or, Let's get it going. Or I'll do it later. And that's avoidance. But only attitude is supposed to be to do. Like uptan, uftan, or nachtan, but it's only be ton. That's the, the Rabbi Shroel Salanter. A person should just, his approach to serving Hashem should be, I want to serve Hashem. Period. That's it. I want to serve Hashem. And to get it done or to see results, I should be result-oriented. Or I should not say, I can't, it's too, too overwhelming for me. I'll do it later. 
That's really, I think, what he's referring to, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, in, in Mishnah Navas. You're not, uh, you're not a free man to say that I can, you know, I can get out of it. I got to keep doing it. But um, my job is just to do, not to see results. Now, a human being's tendency is to want to see results. We all need that pat on the back, that encouragement, something we accomplished in our life. We feel like we accomplished something. But in serving Hashem, says Rebox, that's not, that's not what's required. What's required is that we're supposed to be a shliach. This is really filling the, the next part, step further of last week's parsha. We are here to be a public servant of Hashem. That's our messenger, our message. Why is it we're supposed to be a messenger, uh, a messenger, a servant of Hashem, Evan Neman? Because being an Evan Neman is through appreciation, by knowing Hashem gave us life, He's going to give us Olam Haba. It makes total sense that there should be some way to express appreciation. We have a whole Torah which is telling us how to do so and how to gain more bonus points for the next world. Now, maybe we'll do something, says the Ravari Box, that we won't ever see results for. Never. In our whole life. Or our handiwork will never be perceived. There are people well, that you know that 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 don't have anyone that'll ever see what they did in their life. Everything they're doing is is private. They're all all, all alone. They have nobody that's ever going to witness what they did. But we don't understand God has finest. It's not like we should make a mark in this world. We all want to make that mark. We want to have a zecher. We want to have a zikar in our, our, ourselves. But that's not really what counts. The count is did we do our mission faithfully? And that's where even Moshe Rabbeinu failed, albeit slightly. When he went and approached Paro in Mitzrayim, he said, I can't take it anymore. I went to Hashem. I went to, I went to Hashem. He told me what to do. I went to Paro. I went to Paro. And they're making the work even harder. They're giving the Jews now. They can't even, they have to find their own straw. They can't even, they can't, he just saw things getting worse by his efforts. He just felt frustrated, like so many of us do. But he felt it only once, <laughs> or a few times, actually. We feel it more than once. He felt he wasn't accomplishing anything. They went to Paro, and they weren't going in his way. Hashem says, you're not supposed to see results. You can't go to Eretz Yisrael now because of that. Eretz Yisrael, you were waiting your whole life to go to Eretz Yisrael. The results aren't what mean anything. Results don't matter. Results aren't, we're not supposed to be result-oriented. That's a hard one. That's a big one. We're not supposed to be result-oriented. Same thing here in, our, in this week's parsha. If he spoke to the rock, like Rashi says, what Hashem told him to do was to speak to the rock. He should say, I don't see water. Okay, I did mine, and the rest is up to Hashem. But he took one. He just thought, I have to maybe try a little harder. He was on a level where he didn't have to try any, even harder. You just did what you did. I did what Hashem wants. If he wants me to do more, He'll tell me. I did. I think I did. This is what I think he told me to do. That's all I have to do. That's all I have to do. And the rest is up to Hashem. We have to do ours to see results. That's a big one. <laughs> but we we uh, we have to keep going. We have to keep going because being an Eved Hashem, we have more reasons to be L'shem Shemaim when we don't. Like we said like last week's parsha. If you remember, we said the Levim, Rav Lachem. Rav Lacham B'nai Levi. B'nai Levi had less perks. They weren't the Kohanim with the big day kahuna. 
They weren't the big guys doing the karbanas. They weren't going in the, and seeing the holy base of Migdash all the time like the Kohanim were. But your reward, says Roshim and Schwab, is greater than the Kohanim because you don't see results. The Kohanim are getting extra perks in this world. And sometimes we see that, you know, you can't judge. And this is you know, how we should judge other people. You can't judge a book by its cover. Sometimes people seem holier than us. Because maybe their parents have instilled this in them a whole life. They're just imitating a parent. And this is what the parents kept giving them. The, the, the panel on the back, look how good you did. Look how good you did. They saw results from what they're doing. Or the community gave them, lauded them for their actions. The holiest people can sometimes be people struggling with somebody that nobody appreciates. Nobody appreciates. Nobody sees anything about them. Because we're not supposed to go for appreciation. So it's even a holier task. When we're not appreciated, we're even given an opportunity to be more l'shem shemaim than previous. And that's a big lesson. One time, the Chavetz Chaim says, Rebox, one time uh, some people approached him in Eretz Yisrael. They were having some dilemmas. The government was giving problems in Eretz Yisrael. They were saying that you have to introduce secular studies into the yeshivas. In those days, that was a big change of tradition. And we won't go into that now. That's beyond the scope of this class. But they approached the Chavetz Chaim and they said, the government says that if we don't introduce secular studies, they're going to close the yeshivas. Chavetz Chaim says, what can we do? We can only keep the yeshivas pure. Our job is to do the, like we're told. Hashem, we have to do what Hashem wants us to do. And the rest Hashem is going to have to do for us. And we see these, many of the yeshivas never did introduce secular subjects. And they still, they, they still flourished. So we only could do ours. That's what we have to do. We have to try, even when it's difficult. We have to try. We can't be nachtan. We can't do it later. We have to do ton. We have to do it. We have to keep trying. We have to try if it's taking care of our health, if it's uh, davening with as much kavan as we can muster, even when the, it's hard. There's no shul to give us inspiration. We have to keep doing mitzvahs as many as we could do, even though no one's patting us on the back saying, wow, you're such a tzedekist, you know. We have to do things, and it's a fact that people with the less of those perks, those are the ones that are doing it more l'shem shemaim when they do it, of course. And l'fum tzara agra, we get more reward with the more difficulties endured. So a lot of times, said Revarele Box, people stop doing what they're doing if they don't see perks. Some people, some boys give up learning because they don't see it, they're not masliyah, they don't get, they don't learn so much. I remember many stories they say about Rapheim Kanievsky Shlita, that he would tell a boy, you know one Dafkamara, that's your Masechta. If you know it well, this is a boy that had learning difficulties. If you know it well, you're as great as the biggest guttle. And he told them many, many times. People are just supposed to do what they're supposed to do with Emuna. They just do it with their full heart. They're an Evid Neman. They're faithful. They do what they can. It's not doing, it's not accomplishing per se. Well, of course, if a person has the brains, and they could do it fine, but there are there are limited people. There are limited people in many ways. There are people limited because of Yisurim. There's people limited because of you know difficulties in the family. Whatever our limitations are, we just we can't expect perfection. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for effort, 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 effort. That's the and never. If we live in a society today, the younger generation, there's such a stress. This American glitz. Maybe that's a little bit what this Corona is teaching us. 
You don't have to see your neighbors. You don't have to put on your, all your makeup and all your kids are matching and all the other things going on today. Perfection, perfection, perfection. That's You're striving for perfection in, in um, physical matters. First of all, it takes you away from the spiritual. You're so busy. It's got to be this perfect presentation, and these gourmet cookbooks today, and everything is going to be so perfect, perfect, perfect. And we have less time to spend on spiritual pursuits. And also, the idea is uh, uh, perfection is futile. Perfection means step by step, inch by inch, uh, that a person has to be, anyone the Rambam says can be like Moshe Rabbeinu with their situation, to just be that Eved Neman. The Eved Neman, you gave me this, I will be your Eved Neman, I'll be your reliable servant in my situation. So result-oriented is no good. Now, what did... What did Moshe Rabbeinu, what, what was wrong if Moshe Rabbeinu, okay, he did something wrong. He didn't give B'nai Shal, and according to what we said, according to the, um, the, the, the Tiferes Shimshon, he says that it was terrible. He taught B'nai Shal the wrong way to approach Hashem. I, I'm sorry, Sif Sechayim, the wrong way to approach Hashem. So that's forever, that's, that's forever thing. You can't take that back. That's why you can't go to Eretz Yisrael. Or if you say, that he wanted results, and that's why he didn't go to Eretz Yisrael. But there's a deeper message here. The biggest loss, besides the fact that they, their bitachon is not going to be the same, their bitachon is going to be lowered. Either going to see Moshe Rabbeinu hits a rock, according to Rashi, hits a rock. You have to do something to get results. That, that was wrong. He taught, taught them a wrong lesson. Or the, the, the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu got a little bit upset at them, seeing that Hashem doesn't have patience for you. Those things were lessons for the Jewish people for eternity. You can't go to Eretz Yisrael. But there's another thing here. He davened 515 times. Please, can I do tshuva? But here this problem is not just one of mitzvah or an avera. When we do a sin, yes, tshuva is always available to us. We can always do tshuva. Always. Our whole lives. We always have opportunities that we can change. We can grow. But... There is something different here. And that something different is, there's a lack of covet Shemaim. It's like a Chil Hashem. When Moshe Rabbeinu demonstrates something that Amunah is not what you think it is, that you have to do more. Amunah is not pure. He was the purest teacher of our, our whole lives. It, it's a loss of opportunity, squandered an opportunity to teach a lesson. Very scary. We all have squandered opportunities, and those are bigger than the sins we commit. If they say a story that Roshner Cutler is itself, um, Roshner Cutler barely slept. And they asked him why, and he says, I have so much to think about each student and how they could be better people. And I, I don't have time. I have to make sure I do my, my, do my, keep on my perch and do the job I have to do about caring about all the people in my yeshiva. That's my opportunity, and I can't squander it. You know, this is, we have to think to ourselves, we want to have a life, a pure life, a life that we're serving Hashem. It's hard. It's a hard, it's a hard struggle. And we have, we have to make sure that what we do in our life, we don't squander the opportunities. We don't waste our time. Squandered opportunities is a shame. We could be using those opportunities to get closer to Hashem. And instead, we all need time out. We need to relax. If we know that, you know, realistic, we need, we need a nice treat sometimes. We need, we need to sports, you know, activities to keep us strong. Well, that's already, Keeping healthy, but besides that, sometimes we need like just to relax a little bit. Very important, very important. We need it, and people need it now too. They need more, not to squander them. Asher ma'altem osi, 
that it's what it says in, in Devarim. The uncle says, Rav Yeruchim Levavitz brings down the uncle, says, Lashem Sheker. What is Me'ila here? This, these moments could have been used for a higher level of Kavad Shemayim. And so to speak, Moshe Rabbeinu lowered the level, lowered the playing field, showed them a lower opportunity, opportunity either where there's more Yishtadlis necessary, or he showed them an opportunity that Shem doesn't have patience with you, or whatever he showed them was a lower teaching that he could have taught them. And because he lowered the Kavachanayim, that's something even 515 Tzilos cannot correct. That fact that you could have corrected Kavachanayim and you didn't. There's a beautiful shot. Rav Fox said he was so proud of himself. He said this over to the Panavish Rav, who said it was a Emes of shot. And that is, you know, we say a brach under the chuppah. Shakol bara lechvodo. Everything's created for Hashem's honor, for his Kavachanayim. We're supposed to say, Hashem, I want to give you covet. We always said that covet is similar to the word kaved, meaning heavy, right? It means everything is relevant. Everything is important. Everything is relevant in this world, Hashem. Everything is beautiful. Everything has a purpose, whether it's good or bad. And we see how the cycles, whether it's the food chain or the or all the different things in photosynthesis, everything has, the littlest worm, everything has a, has a purpose, has something in its, a reason, a raison d'etre. Why do we say that under a chuppah? So her box explains that in Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer, it says, I believe, let me just, second, let me just make sure I'm saying it right. Yes. In Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer, it says, when Hashem created Adam, when Hashem created Chava, Hashem said to the Malachim, I have no zivig. Man shouldn't have a zivig. So Hashem created Chava. What does that mean? Her box says, that if people will think that I'm like God, I could say this maybe about a male ego, but you could say it about a female too, definitely in her own way. If we say, I don't need anybody, I'm just perfect the way I am, who are you? There's only a Shem that doesn't have a Zivug. We all need a Zivug because it proved us that, you know, people need other people. We're not alone, you know, that we, we, we're not, we're, everything is the covet of Shem. And, and that, that to give covet Hashem by having a husband or a wife, it's another way to show covet Shemayim. Because what we're showing is that we are not like Hashem. We need people. He doesn't need anybody. That's, that's what Petra Bach says. So just one more thing I want to quote to you. Okay, Rebach, I'm here today. And then we'll leave you off with amazing answers. He says two things. Um, it says in Yeshaya, you must be very famous, call a Nikra everything that's called in my name, everything that's, in other words, everything Hashem created is born for his, to give him cover, to give him, to show how glorious Hashem is. And I, I made him, I fashioned him, everything is perfect. Um, says, you should know this from your mind. Devaro, whoever does a Chil Hashem and kind of scorns him in any way. So this is a Chil Hashem that he said I had to do an extra act of Ishtadlas. Or this is a Chil Hashem to, to, to kind of give an impression to others that Hashem is not so patient. It's like mind-boggling. Um, uh, it says, Avda um, Tikvasa, he lost his hope. Uh, okay, Kilo Dilo Asherloya Kimashinidrash Bimenu. 
It's not enough for a person that he doesn't keep what was asked from him, from the Torah. To honor Hashem and to sanctify him. But he did the opposite, to do a chil Hashem. Now, in any case, Kavad Shemaim always trumps. Always the, the honor of the glory of Hashem will always end up at the end. If a person didn't do what Hashem wanted him to do, by his punishment, Hashem shows that at the end, Hashem trumps. You know, if you didn't do it, I'll either get someone else to do it, or by your punishment will show, by going against Hashem, what happens. Rabbeinu Yonah says, Hanefesh Hashem Taseh Biyad Ramah, if you do something out, you know, publicly and you were like, so to speak, going against Hashem, this soul has to be cut off because we, in any case, our whole purpose in life is for Kavit Shemaim to honor Hashem and Moshe in this minuscule little way didn't honor Hashem. So therefore he had to have those losses. And we're just giving a few of them a portion. The 10 sheets of the Orachim we did not bring down. But the Orachim does mention in this chat, had Moshe Rabbeinu not done Meimariva, he had not done this sin, he would have brought us to Eretz Yisrael, built the Mesa Megdish. We would never have had Galas ever because any Mesa Megdish built by Moshe could never be destroyed ever. And we would have had proper Amuna, would have been Mashiach, Tidkenu, and that would have been it, says the Orachim HaKadosh. But alas, that opportunity, and we can't even understand it, was squandered. So let's not squander our opportunity. And you know what that means today? Smartphones, cell phones, all the other things that people are, you know, spending extra time on. You know, let's let not take us over. Let us, Moshe would have been Mashiach, yes. So let's remember, and Munas Chachamim, how important it is. Not because we have to trust our sages, but because it's really a directive from Hashem, a commandment and a promise. They will be able to be the leaders. You will always have leaders. You will be able to rely on those leaders. And Bechol Beisi Neman, who Moshe Rabbeinu was the ultimate, his sins were so tiny and minuscule, I could never, could you, any of you, ever imagine having so many sins in your life, the ones that he had? Like, if that should be our sins, we would, I don't know what, that would, we could accomplish it maybe in one hour, the sins he did in his whole lifetime. Maybe I'm, let's, I, I know, I'm exaggerating. I think in five minutes we could do the three or four sins that Moshe Rabbeinu, I think it's just three, that he did in his life. Second, not going to Eretz Yisrael. Why did he go to Eretz Yisrael? For many reasons. One is he has to be a shaliach. You can't have, you can't feel a failure that, you know, I want to, just, I want to see results. We can't be result-oriented. We just have to keep forging forward just to be ton, not upton or nachton or all these other tons that are to, 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 to finish something or to get going with it. We just have to do it. That's it. Not to steal from Hashem, not to squander our opportunities, not to make calculations, calculated hitting the rock. He just, he did it. He thought maybe he has to do something a little bit more. I can't even imagine such a thing. You know, he just, that was, he just, we're supposed to do something and just leave it like that. And Buddha is supposed to be faithfulness. The more faithful we are, and if things don't work out our way, we shouldn't be frustrated. I mean, again, these are things we have to really st- struggle with and work on. But let us all, hopefully, emulate these great lessons we just learned from the little failings of Moshe Rabbeinu. I wish you all an amazing week. And we should greet Mashiach Tzikainu ourselves this week. Today, Bikar of the Amenu. Amen. Selah.